friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to share a few Austin FC firsts, including the first games, the first coach and player press conferences, and the uh, first home game. So we're also going to talk to Sam Jones of MLSsoccer.com, who recently wrote an article about the bold predictions for the upcoming season, included a few things that are going to be of interest to Austin FC fans. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey everybody, I'm I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Um, Landon, yes, so I'm in Fredericksburg today with a bunch of empty wine bottles behind me, which is <laughs> also how I spent yesterday uh, drinking our did way you, through this beautiful little town. Did you drink all those bottles empty, or those decoration? There, no, we only we only had well, we only had one here. How about that? It was cool. <laughs> they, had, they had like a welcome bottle, um, or they oh, had that's they, a nice touch. They had a bottle that was full. I assumed it was a welcome bottle. We drank it. I mean, I don't know why you would do that otherwise. <laughs> They're going to um, charge you like a mini bar. Oh God, that would be terrible. <laughs> so while I was doing that, what did, what did you do yesterday? I think maybe you had a slightly different day. I uh, I had a kind of an eventful day yesterday on sun or on Sunday. Yeah, um, Ashley and I went out and volunteered at the vaccine clinic out at Coda, uh, which was a really cool experience. So um, we got out there early in the morning. We didn't really know what we were going to be doing, and I had read so. We signed up to work as scribes. I didn't really know what that meant. And then I learned that it was a position that they were up until this week only allowing medical professionals to do. And so I was like, oh, great. Something like nurses were doing last week that I'm going to be doing this week. This is terrifying. Uh, It turns out we were pretty much just like checking paperwork and writing some stuff down on pieces of paper. Uh, So it wasn't that part of it wasn't difficult, but... Um, we worked for about 10 hours uh, getting people through there. They told us afterwards that I think they vaccinated 5,000 people at that site that day, which is really cool. Um, but some of the things that I kind of took away from it are uh, we saw lots of Austin FC gear, uh, both on volunteers and on cars that were driving through. And so that was really cool. Um, I like. I feel like there was a time in my life when I was around nurses more. I had some friends that were in nursing school and have some family that that used to work as nurses. And so I had kind of forgotten this. And I guess also it's been a long time since I've been in the hospital. but Which is um, good, right? Luckily. Yeah, that's a good part of it. Um, but nurses are like some of the most amazing people in the world. The two of the, the people that were in our little bay, so like there was these these like different lanes lined up across the parking lot at Coda and each lane would have like two or three scribes kind of uh, checking the paperwork and making everything was going. And they would have vaccinators, which is essentially anybody who's like legally allowed to give someone a shot could come and do it. And so we had these two nurses, uh, Leona and Chris shout out to Leona and Chris. They were badasses, but, um, yeah, it was just awesome to see like how efficient they were just running there and just like jabbing people in the arms, but also like making them feel very comfortable and loved while they were doing it. And like got to see people like get emotional about it because they were so excited it was happening. And then some people were scared and worried about it and they calmed them down. And it was just a really cool thing to watch. But um, another awesome thing that happened out of it was the end of the day, they told us um, we're going to. Uh, because you all are now um, 
essentially emergency response workers for having worked at this. We're going to give you all your first shot of the vaccine, which is really awesome news. So we hung around and waited for a while for them to prepare some vaccines for all the volunteers. And then uh, they put us in line and we were just kind of going through these lines. And whenever a chair was available, you'd step up and sit in a chair and someone would, would stick you. And so we were kind of at the back and uh, we get up to the front of the line and someone says, okay, this chair is open. And I start walking up and I noticed that he's wearing an, an Austin FC shirt. He's got a, an Austin FC C polo on it. And I was also wearing an Austin FC t-shirt and we both just like looked at him and we're like, Hey, nice shirt, man. And then they ran out of shots. And so I ended up having to stand there for a little bit longer and we just got to talk <laughs> about soccer for like 20 minutes. But, um, it, I thought it was pretty perfect that, um, that of all the there's dozens of vaccinators out there and the one that whose chair I happened to get was a guy wearing an Austin FC shirt and we got to talk about soccer for a bit. So shout out to Paul, my guy who who gave me my vaccine and, and uh, is an Austin FC fan. Yeah. I mean, what a what a thing. So had he been had he been out there before? Like, uh, vo- Paul? Like volunteering? Yeah. Um, I think this was his first day as well. So a lot of the nurses and like medical folks had been out there um, previous weekends but I think it was Paul's first time. Well, good for Paul. Hopefully he listens. You should have uh, like passed him a card or something to make sure he checked out Moon Tower Soccer. I, I did talk to him about it, and he's like, I don't listen to podcasts, but I'll go subscribe to it or something if if it'll help your numbers. And I was like, I don't think it will, but I appreciate it, Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul, download it and like hit the play button, and you don't actually yeah. have to like listen. Just <laughs> let it start. Um, he did offer to come on the show and, and encourage people to get their vaccine, though. So I thought that was a nice gesture as well. So maybe we'll have Dr. Paul come on, come on the show sometime. But uh, I just want to take this this moment to encourage our listeners to go get your damn vaccine whenever it's your turn, because we're going to talk about some games here in a little bit. And I don't know about you, but I want to go to them. And the only way that's going to happen is if we get enough people vaccinated to where it's safe to do that. So get your damn shot. Yeah, we need a whole bunch of us to go do that. I think that's... <laughs> Probably. Well, that's going to have a lot of effect on a lot of things we're going to talk about um, today. So let's talk about the schedule, which came out or 334. The schedule came out last week. So what does that look like? Yeah. So first games announced. Our first uh, first game overall is going to be away at LAFC. So really big challenge there. But I'm I'm excited about it. Jeremiah, you must be a little bit divided here. Your your boyhood club, LAFC. <laughs> Versus your manhood club, Austin FC. Yeah, I'm very torn. I remember my dad driving me to you know games in LA in the, in the early <laughs> to the 80s bank of California child. Stadium, the old Bank of California Stadium. Yeah, no, that's really exciting, and I can't imagine there's like a better marketing wise, like a better first match that we could have. I mean, a little bit worried because they're really good, and we will have never played like a real game together. So the game part of it may be a challenge, but I mean, it's a national broadcast. It'll be a it'll be a great way to kick it off. Yeah, it's going to be on on Big Fox, Homer Simpson Fox, as Alexi Lawless puts it, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very excited just to kind of the attention that that game is going to get. I'm pretty pumped about that one. Uh, the second game is Colorado Rapids uh, on April 24th. So with the LA game, it doesn't seem like many away fans, if any away fans, are going to get to go. Um, Colorado looks a little bit more promising. Uh, I know a bunch of fans have already bought plane tickets, just kind of hoping it's going to work. And I think you might be one of those fans, Jeremiah. Is that uh, right? Yeah, I can have an update on that. And we'll start with LA. So as far as I, as far as we can all tell, um, I think it's 
like 10 to 15 percent attendance and you have to prove that you're a california resident to go which makes it really hard to like anthony precourt um actually probably <clears throat> could go but i don't know if he could like <laughs> sneak us sneak us all in as precourt family members but yeah for denver um so from los verdes i think we've requested maybe 150 tickets and there's like we've got like a block of hotel rooms and there's like a couple planes that are almost full on southwest um on the way to denver so yeah i have plane tickets in a hotel booked with some hope of going to the game but i guess i guess if not we'll just go to a bar nearby and and enjoy the heck out of it but um that could be really exciting and you know given colorado's relative uh fan support you know we may have more people in the stands than than than, than they do you know uh, for the, the for first, that match first away invasion in colorado uh so we'll yeah i mean this is all going to be changing almost constantly right so we'll update as as needed there. Uh, we also know when our first home game is going to be. Uh, so the first game at Q2 Stadium is going to be June 19th versus San Jose. So they're going to play a good two months on the road before they come home to the first game. But um, I thought that was, what did you think about that um, that matchup with San Jose? Is that, it's kind of a weird home opener, but they have to make a schedule for a lot of teams. So I guess they'd weren't going to hand pick the perfect home game for us necessarily. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's okay because that's a winnable first home game too. And if yeah. you think of it sort of the clubs on the table that you would like, okay, so when you played high school football and you always had that, like you played, you had a homecoming game against somebody that if you weren't sure to beat, you know, you knew at least you had a chance to beat. And I feel like that's the same situation we're going to be in here. I mean, San Jose, they may not finish near. They may not finish. Like, may, not be, may not be the worst team in the league, but you know we'll, we'll be competitive with them too. So I think it's it's a good matchup. Um, it's Father's Day weekend, so if you are a father or have a father, you should consider getting him tickets to this game. I think would be a, a <laughs> nice treat. I know I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to take the boys to that too. So um, we'll see kind of what that leads to. And we had a bit of news about that today. I think from Andy Lochnane, um sent out an email that addressed a lot of the big questions that a lot of fans have had about about a number of issues. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, I may have been drinking my way through downtown Fredericksburg today, and I haven't <laughs> like read it in depth. And I have some opinions on some of it, but maybe you should cover the, the key points of it. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, uh, uh, the first announcement that he made in this press release was that Q2 Stadium is still set to be completed in the last few days of March or the first few days of April. Um, there's, it seems like they're still going to be putting finishing touches and adding in certain things, um, after that, but they'll, they'll, they're on track to receive their certificate of occupancy essentially in the next two to three weeks. So by the beginning of April, they'll be legally allowed to have people in that building. Um, there's a few other final touches that are going to take a little bit longer. So, uh, some of the traffic signal updates they're doing in the area, road signs kind of like pointing towards Q2 stadium in the area, then bright Verde way, which is the vehicle and pedestrian road that you'll be able to access from, from the road there. Um, all of those are going to be continued to be worked on, but he does say that they'll be completed by June 19th by that first home game. So um, it's not really going to affect anything that those things are still being worked on. Um, another announcement he made was St. David's performance center is quote, to be substantially completed in late March or early April. And 
uh, that first team and academy teams will soon be in position to train at the center. So I think substantially completed means like done enough for them to be there. Right. And I imagine they'll still be putting touches and, and kind of finalizing that, but it'll be in good enough shape for players to actually start practicing there. Yeah. You have like, if you have the pitch and you have like locker rooms and restrooms, I think that's pretty, pretty much what you need to have done to get there. So I'm assuming that they're, they'll be that far along and they can finish everything else out. Yeah. I mean, it'll be better than like the portable temporary buildings that they're using out at St. Edwards right now. So I imagine they'll take it as, even if it's not finished. Um, the Another thing he announced was they uh, don't know an exact date, but hope to have the full MLS schedule released in the next 10 to 14 days. So we un, we talked about three games earlier. Those are the only three games we know about right now. So in within the next two weeks, we're hoping to have uh, the full schedule, which will be exciting. Um, they said that approximately 10 days later, they're hoping to share the broadcast assignments. So we'll know what games will be on what channels and all of that thing. But also, whenever the full schedule comes out, we can start kind of planning other away matches and kind of know when uh, certain rivalry games are going to be and things like that. So that'll be um, we won't have to be in so much of a holding pattern because of the schedule, there'll be other things keeping us in a, in a holding pattern, like an international pandemic, but, uh, <laughs> other than that. Yeah. Um, but we'll at least know when, when things are going to happen. Um, it mentions that the, the most common question that they're getting right now is what capacity is Q2 going to be at for the opener? He says, our hope is to be in position to consider safely hosting a large crowd for our home opener on June 19th. Uh, he goes on to say that essentially like we don't want to estimate one way or another because lots of things could change in in that amount of time and we could be way wrong just because of how unpredictable the world is right now. Um, but he does mention that that's over three months from now. So Austin FC is going to have the benefit of watching other teams around the league and kind of, okay, what works, what didn't, um, how many people did this team let in, what did the fans think about that and what was the public perception of that? And I, I imagine they're going to be gauging lots of things around the league and in other sports as well over the next three months to kind of make that decision. Uh, but they did say that um, they're hoping to make an announcement for that home opener. So the home opener, June 19th for San Jose, they're going to start communicating uh, Austin FC ticketing protocols on an, on a to-be-determined date between May 19th and May 24th. So sometime between May 19th and May 24th, we'll have some information about if and how we can use our season tickets. <laughs> well, he did say um, season ticket holders should... I'm gonna. I'm not going to get this exactly right, but you should plan to be there, basically. Like, season ticket holders should plan to be in the stadium um, on June 19th, but we can't promise anything. I mean, that was the most positive statement I've heard from from well from from any from any club out of that and that is an advantage of opening later but it maybe I, maybe I'm overly excited about it but it made, it made it seem like if things continue to go the way they are and people keep getting vaccines and the numbers keep getting keep going the way they are that we could very easily every six ticket holder could be in the stadium on June 19th is that the same way you read that uh yeah and I think I mean it's he could be way off, but it seems like a realistic thing because if you just let, say if you just let season ticket holders in, I haven't done the math, but if you take it, take away the 5,000 single game tickets that they're holding back for single game sales, take away the 
tickets held back for away fans. Um, I would guess it's somewhere. What it's, would you say, like seventy percent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's between seventy and seventy-five because I think it's fifteen thousand five hundred is the number of season tickets they have out of twenty thousand five hundred. So, so yeah, I mean, if seventy-five percent capacity is the thing, then then that would cover every season ticket holder. And this is not a direct comparison, um, you know. But the Texas Rangers baseball teams at a hundred percent, which is kind of dumb, probably. But uh, yeah. I think, but we'll have time to to observe and see what happens with things like that too. You know, that that, right. that could be informative. You know, if if they do open at a hundred percent and things don't go haywire there, maybe that's all. That's more reason why would we would be able to open the larger crowd that we might be thinking right now. Yeah, and for comparison, I think Houston is do opening uh, to start off with thirty percent capacity. Mind you, that's in April, so three months before we're going to be opening. So. Yeah, I I think it's it's a bit of an advantage to be able to kind of watch what other teams are doing and learn from it, and we can make decisions later on. So I know we're all antsy to like and anxious to get that information, but I also do not blame them at all for not releasing anything right now because who knows the the motto of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one? Who the hell knows? For sure. Hey, did you do the math on what the second half of the schedule looks like in terms of home versus away games? So we're going to have, what, eight or nine probably away on the road up front. So we yeah. should be playing, what, two, two-thirds of our games on, on the at home during the second half yeah, of the schedule? I haven't, or? I haven't done the math, but it's going to be a lot. It'll be the majority of, of, um, of the back half of the season is going to be at home. So uh, we kind of talk about that in our interview with Sam, Sam Jones here in a little bit. But, yeah, I think it probably bodes well for, for a new team to, to kind of hit their stride later in the season when they're at home and hopefully make a playoff run. But yeah. Yeah. That should, that should be exciting. And as a fan, um, just know you're going to, it's going to be a lot of drinking time in the second half of the season. So train appropriately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another set of firsts that we have was uh, weekly press conferences that um, before it was like, there would be just an ad hoc press conference whenever something big happened. Right. Uh, Now there's, scheduled ones and i think it's going to be twice a week is that right tuesdays and thursdays generally i think that's right i don't know if yes i think it's like josh every week and then a set of players every week if i yeah recall correctly yeah so in the first um the first set of press conferences we had one just with josh talking about the schedule release i believe and then kind of the training and what he thought about different players and then we also had a second one with uh danny hosen and victor victor hector jimenez um, kind of talking about their experiences with the team so far. So what were your takeaways from Josh Wolf's part of it? And then we can move on to the players. Yeah, Josh. So um, he was really excited. <laughs> he, he's, he really, <laughs> back on this theme of first, I mean, I think he was really enthusiastic about you know being able to do this and leading in the first season and the challenges that are in front of him. Um, he talked a lot about Cecilio Dominguez and his potential, which is, you know, really exciting and I didn't want to get carried away by, you know, sort of the Cecilio mania, but I kind of am now after just hearing him talk about it and sort of seeing the videos and things like that. So that was exciting. And we, um, we give we give Josh a lot of crap on the show for not answering questions in press conferences, but he like legitimately legitimately looked excited when he was talking about Cecilio. That's like fair. He was like, he was like, you could see it on his face. He was like giddy to talk about Cecilio and was really excited about him. So that was cool to see. 
Yeah, the other, like he didn't he didn't really answer the question because like somebody asked who knew the, like the, <laughs> what the captain was going to be right, and then he just talked about leadership. Um, but it's fine, right? I think that's fair. That's a fair. That's like fair. he shouldn't he shouldn't have to know who his captain is yet. And then um, what else did he talk about? What other things did you take away from it? Did you watch it live? Uh, or did you watch the replay? I think I, just, I, had, I was I couldn't watch it live because of work, uh, but I watched it afterwards. I think something else he mentioned in it was I don't know if we knew this yet, but he t- said that uh, Tomas Pochettino had arrived over the weekend. So this is last weekend, so like a week and a half, two weeks ago, um, and I don't think we knew when he was coming up until that point. That that could be wrong, but. Uh, excited that that Pochettino is here now. I'm I'm sure he's having to do some type of quarantine period or something. So I'm not sure if he's actually training yet or not. Um, but yeah, he's at least in town now. Uh, yeah, talking about captains, like yeah, like you said, he didn't didn't really answer the question, but that's fine. Um, and he just kind of overall, he said that players are they're learning a lot about the players, but most of them have been in town for a while and they've had good interactions off the field and kind of being around the hotel and uh, where their kind of their offices are right now. And it feels like they're moving in a generally good direction. He also said, uh, I can't remember who asked this, but somebody asked about injuries. Um, and he said that everyone is fairly healthy, which m- makes me believe that maybe somebody isn't entirely healthy, but it's not anything that warrants an announcement or somebody <laughs> like sitting out of training or anything like that. And I think one, one final thing that, um, I'll mention is it's something he said before, but someone asked about additional players and what can we expect. And essentially they're going to evaluate the first part of the year to know what's needed. So again, they'll wait for that DP signing in the summer, but I think for other players as well, um, just like see what we need. Cause there's still some supplemental, uh, supplemental spots to fill that DP spot to fill. And so I think a lot of guys are going to have the opportunity to kind of prove themselves and take over spots. And then, uh, when we get to summer, there'll be time to fill that DP spot with someone who we know we need, like a spot that we know we need filled. Yeah. That's something else. I think it's, we that Sam touches on that too, about the wisdom behind that type of maneuver. Um, and why that, why that makes sense, especially when you're building an expansion team during a pandemic and you don't have the chance to really, um, get a deep look at everybody. Yeah. Um, so We've had players in town for quite a while now, but rightfully so. They've been kind of letting them settle in and haven't been really putting them in front of the press much. But now they're. Uh, it seems like they're going to be rolling out players in front of cameras fairly regularly now. So we got a decent little uh, press segment with uh, Hector Jimenez and Danny Hoosen. Uh, what was your What were your takeaways from from those guys? So uh, with the Hoosen, and I did I did get to watch both these live too. Um, with the Hoosen, you know, it was um, his excitement about the style of play I thought was really interesting. He talked about the Dutch style of football, which I did not know about, but it's very clearly a thing that you <laughs> educated me on. And he talked a lot about not just being a target striker number nine, but the ability to like link back to the midfield and play this um, sort of flowing game that I think really fits with everything that we know about the way Josh uh, wants the club to play, but it was good to hear him talk about that and be excited about that and buy into that. And he also um, mentioned how much he appreciated the fan excitement that as soon as he got drafted, uh, he heard from fans, you know, all over the place about it. And he really appreciates how much Austin is a soccer city. So that was really cool um, to hear from him too. What, uh, what else, when you watch that, what were your impressions out of it? I think the, the part that, 
that I was most interested in was when he was talking about the style of play and how much he was liking it. And like you mentioned, like Dutch style of play. And for, for those who don't know, like the, I guess the Dutch are known for this, this style that's called total football, meaning that every player can play every position. And so if, uh, for example, if a number nine wants to drop into midfield and kind of combine with the midfield while another player fills in that other spot, that's totally acceptable and a thing that Josh Wolf probably encourages. And so um, if you listen to the episode uh, after the after we signed Danny Houston or picked him in the expansion draft, that's one thing that we talked about was that he is really good at kind of dropping in and combining with midfielders and um, kind of very useful in that buildup part of the attack. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that he's being used that way. I don't think he was really used that way in San Jose. And um, it, I just don't think they were playing to his strengths really. And I, it, it sounds like that they are going to in this style of play. So uh, one of the biggest questions is that we've had is where the goal is going to come from. If Danny Houston can be a really solid player, then that could be one of the spots, even if he's not scoring goals, just helping create goals. Cause we do have guys who can, uh, guys like Cecilio, Cecilio really likes to kind of combine with strikers and run in behind and things like that. So if he has a striker who can play like that with him, then that's that that should be really exciting to watch. So um, going on to Hector Jimenez, what was what was the or what were the things that stood out about his part? Yeah, for me, I think that he talked a lot about the culture, um, the culture they were building. You you mentioned uh, Josh talked about that a bunch of people had gotten into, they'd gotten into town early and had sort of had the opportunity to bond. He really talked about that a lot, um, about how they had already started helping the Spanish speaking players like learn English. And they had this good mix of Spanish speakers and English speakers. And, you know, people like he took questions in both English and Spanish. Like he was obviously very comfortable doing both languages. And it was really good to hear that they had leadership on the club that were willing to do that. Um, considering the number of, when you think about the talent on this club, like we've got a lot of South American talent that are not native English speakers that we're going to rely on a lot. And so to to be able to combine the guys who are here who are like willing to lead and do that with the talent coming in, I think is really important to building the overall culture of the club. So I really like that. Um, I enjoyed the fact that he said that he loves barbecue and they didn't have any good barbecue in Columbus. And so he was really happy to get to a town where we had good barbecue. That was probably he essentially my favorite said, comment. I'm, I'm, he essentially said, I'm happy to live in a place that doesn't have trash food anymore. That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't really thought about it, but if like looking at the roster, there are really only a, a handful of guys, like maybe maybe like three or four guys who are going to be really proficient in both English and Spanish. Um, and so, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that yet, but it kind of makes sense for, uh, for Jimenez to be that guy. Cause he's, he's going to be the most experienced out of the ones who do, uh, do speak both languages. So I, yeah, that, I think that makes total sense that he's been kind of the, the bridge between the English and Spanish speaking camps in the team. And it, it makes sense for even for like, if you just look at him as a player and what he's done over the last few years, you know, you might not think that's the most exciting person to add to the squad. If you think about the culture and what he brings from that perspective, it makes a ton of sense too. I have a feeling it's got to be part of the reason why we brought him to Austin is to help be that bridge. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like, seems like a great dude to have in the locker room. Um, I'm, I'm here to make y'all better. I'm here to do whatever I can to make the team better. That's, that's the attitude he kind of puts out. So, uh, and that, that's the, 
to be honest, that's the role he's going to play. And so it's good to see that he embraces that and just knows, like, I'm just here to do whatever I can to help. Right, but he did come up as a potential captain, right? Was that when, I guess it was when Josh was talking about leaders. Josh talked about all the leaders on the team and the people that might wear the armbands. And I know that he specifically mentioned Beasler, specifically mentioned Ring. And I think Jimenez was the other one that he came up that he identified by name as one of the real team leaders. That was that was good to hear too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so there was a, an article that, where did this come out? It was, uh, looks like 90minutes.com posted an article that says how every MLS expansion club has performed in its first two years. And so it just kind of lists out like, how did they perform? So what did what did we learn from this article? I thought it was a really interesting article because I'm not, you know, I've only been following the league for a few years and didn't really know what to expect out of expansion clubs other than what I've heard about Atlanta and LAFC. And really the reason that this article spoke to me is because when we had Wellhausen on, we talked about the expectations for Josh Wolf and, you know, is do you give him two years? Do you give him four years? Do you give him five? Like, what does it look like in terms of fan expectations for expansion clubs? And so this really dug into what clubs had done. I think one of the important things that that seemed relevant was kind of 2015 seems to be a sort of point of differentiation between sort of like old school, you know, MLS 1.0 expansion and what you can expect going forward. I think maybe it was the money or the mechanisms that that they made available that um that allowed you to succeed earlier on but if you look back at that i think there's two there's two really good examples there's two really good example two really bad examples from the last few years um the really bad ones being fc cincinnati which has been really bad for two years straight now and as we'll talk about has not gotten off to a great start on the third year and then minnesota united was also really really bad the first year well, while on the other, on the other hand if you look at atlanta united and you look at LAFC, I mean, they, they were both stellar right off the bat. So it's kind of all across the board, but I thought it was a good context for what we might be able to expect out of Austin in the first two years. Yeah. So did it change what you, did it change your expectations at all? Do you think something different after, after having looked back at the history books? I don't, I don't know that it necessarily changed a lot about what I wanted out of the club. I guess it really reinforced what I thought was possible which I had originally kind of came up with based upon my own impressions and no actual data. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Did you look at it? And did you have a different thought about it? No. Yeah. I, it didn't change the way I thought about like my expectations for this team. Um, I said this on last week's last week's episode that if Austin FC is bad this season, it's not going to be for the same reasons that, um, that FC Cincinnati was bad or that Minnesota was bad. Minnesota essentially took a soft opening and kind of played a partly USL team that first season. Um, Cincinnati just built their roster very poorly because there was nobody who knew how to do that in charge whenever they were doing that. Austin FC has built a smart roster so far, so I think we've set our floor much higher than either of those teams did. Um our ceiling is going to depend on a lot of things. It's that third DP. Uh, can Josh Wolf actually be a head coach of a team? We think he can, but we don't know. Um, is our back line actually any good? Like I could see them being really good and I can see them not being that good. So I think there's a lot of questions that are the answers to those questions are going to determine what our ceiling looks like. But I think our floor is set fairly high. So I don't think we're going to be disastrous. I, I don't foresee 
any possibility that we're just going to be a disastrous team this first year. Yeah, I think one relevant team that I forgot about that, well, very directly relevant was NYCFC. And they were, what, eighth out of eighth in the conference the first year out of only 10 teams in the conference. And then we're, when the conference semifinals in the second season, yeah. um, they have a sporting director we might be familiar with. And I think that would be a very fine uh, first two years. In my, for Absolutely. Me. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll take, well, eight out of 10 isn't so hot. Like in the, the 20th percentile there, um, that's maybe not so good, but yeah, Eastern Conference semifinals in the second season, that, that'd be pretty nice. All right, uh, another article. We're, we're just going to talk about a bunch of articles in today's show, I realize. That's what we're going to talk to Sam Jones in the interview about. But um, uh, another article that we'll talk about is Andrew Wiebe wrote an article uh, predicting potential MVP candidate for every team in the league. And so he had several categories of those because some teams have more likely uh, more likely candidates than others. So there was a favorites category a believable category, uh, all about the narrative category, which only contains Chicharito. It's <laughs> an interesting category. <laughs> uh, and then the plausible but improbable category, and then dream a little dream for me category. So the one we're going to focus on here is the plausible but improbable category because it contains one Cecilio Dominguez. So, um, yeah, what... Do we do we actually think that Cecilio could be an MVP in this league? If he is an MVP in this league, we're going to have the most exciting first season. <laughs> it's going to be so good. I mean, sure, like there's the potential. This is one of the things, like when I talked earlier about how I've, like all on the Cecilio narrative because everybody's talking so great about him, and you know I'm excited about what 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 we've seen in terms of video. Yeah, we'd be having an awesome first year in Austin if Cecilio was an MVP candidate. And I think it would be, you've mentioned this before, but it would be a little bit of a, um, like Vela at LAFC, you know, somebody that's got a ton of potential that takes on the number 10 and embraces that role and finally lives up to it and sort of finds the right system. It would be, it would be incredible. What do you, what do you think about that potential? Yeah, I, I think we be nailed it in his category is plausible, but improbable. Like I don't expect Cecilio to be an MVP. Um, I, again, he could he could have a wild season. Like I think he's talented enough that if everything around him kind of clicks and the team clicks and he becomes the centerpiece of this team, that it's possible. But um, with first year in the, in the league, uh, the, with an expansion team around him, I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, it would be pretty awesome if it did. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I think you hit on it too, right? It's not just like Cecilia would have to be great and the team would have to be successful. It's right. not just like he can't have a singularly, amazing year you know it's going to rely on us all doing probably better than we thought for me it was exciting to see that that's sort of the middle of the pack in terms of there's like nine or ten different categories there's one all the way down that like Aaron Long's defenders don't win MVPs so I mean at least we're not way down there yeah not to mention that there are some really good players in this league that he would have to rise above um among those Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez is going to be back. Lucas Zellerion, uh coming off an amazing year last season with the crew. And Alejandro Prosuelo, um had a really great season last year as well. So there's a lot of really good players you'd have to do better than. So he could have an amazing season and still not really be in the running for MVP. So, um, yeah, well, I, I have pretty high hopes for, for Cecilio, but time will tell. Um, 
I think now is a good time to move on to our uh, our interview. So we, Jeremiah, whenever we've, you and I have talked about what we want this show to be, like our goal is kind of sit somewhere in between the journalists and the fans, right? Like we want to be well-informed fans who can kind of study the games and talk, like, talk about it in an entertaining way, but we're not quite doing the same job as the journalists. And so we like to have real journalists come on and talk about what they do every once in a while. And so I think Sam is, is a part of that, that series. And like when we've had some of the other guys from the striker on, um, yeah, the, we're not doing the same job as those guys and we're not pretending to, to be doing the same job as those guys. So it's fun to have proper journalists on every once in a while to, to talk about what they're doing. So uh, we're going to go to this interview with Sam Jones. We're going to talk a little bit about MLS and Austin. And I think he has some some pretty interesting things to say. So we'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Today's guest is a writer for MLSsoccer.com, Sam Jones. Sam, thanks so much for joining us, man. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing very well. Sam, we started a conversation with you, uh, I guess, a few weeks ago about a topic that we'll get to a little bit later on. But Mm -hmm. uh, in between then and now, a different article came out, which was, uh, what was the title of it here? Eight Extreme Predictions for the 2021 MLS Season. And so um, we're not going to go through all of them, but there was a, a couple of them that I think were particularly interesting to Austin FC fans. So if it's all right with you, I think we'll just uh, hit on those two and then leave the rest for people to go read on their own. I think that'd be great. And I apologize in advance for it not being extreme with just an X. I got kind of some <laughs> stick for that, uh, but did hopefully the, they were good enough anyway. Did the editors cut that out? Yeah, unfortunately, you'd be amazed <laughs> at the stuff that gets left on the cutting room floor that I think is just genius. But, you know, teach their own. <laughs> we uh, Phil West has has told us about some of the headlines that he tried to get pushed through before. <laughs> and I don't think he's ever gotten to keep a headline. <laughs> no, Phil's a gem. I'm glad you all have Phil down there, though. Phil, if you all have not read Phil's book on MLS, it is a must read introduction into the the very, very silly in delightful world of MLS, which I love so dearly. Yeah, absolutely. Highly recommend It's called the United States of Soccer. Go check that out. Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So uh, one of the things that you pointed out in the article, I guess one of the um, the predictions, uh, prediction number two was the summer will bring the most DPs in history. So not many DPs have been signed. Not many players have been signed in recent months. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about that and why do you think that's the case? It's been such a weird market with, with COVID. It hasn't. I don't know um, how much you all have been paying attention to the rest of the league. I know that's 
a crazy, crazy hobby that only a few of us have. And I only have because I really get paid for it. You know, <laughs> um, I hope you aren't paying too much attention. Frankly, you should have friends and families. More, more than we should, that. probably. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you'll notice that a lot of players coming in on loans, loan to buy, players being sent out on loan to buy and general kind of mechanics like that. To, to bring players in and, and kind of work around whatever strange financial situation that a lot of teams have right now. And, and what it's done is it's, it's left a lot of big spots on the table. And it feels like it's been a very quiet offseason as far as big DPs. I can only think of a couple off the top of my head that have really come in to this. Um, you throw in the fact that MLS is revamping their roster roles, which is just going to be such a, a lovely thing for y'all to experience over and over again year after year and trying to grasp whatever is going on with that. We, my, we my did our, advice our there. Tam Gam explainer a couple of weeks ago <laughs> on an episode. It was so hard. I forget regularly. <laughs> um, my advice is mostly don't worry about it um, <laughs> because it's so hard to keep track of what teams are doing, who has allocation money, who has, um, international spots that actually matter. You know, you'll, you'll hear people worry about international spots and domestic spots all the time. They're almost always getting resolved as you speak, you know, and, and things just pop up like that. Um, but we have a revamp rule with U22 players. They're calling it the young money rule. I think that's a, a Sam stage call thing from the athletic is, is the young money rule, but it's allowing teams to do some of the same mechanics they do with DPs with U22 players. Um, so as teams kind of figure out that as teams kind of figure out what the market looks like, in the pandemic, you have a lot of teams leaving DP spots open and teams that you wouldn't really think about it doing too, right? Like, you know, like LAFC has a DP spot open. It's kind of strange to, to think that, you know, one of the highest spending teams, but there it is. And it's a lot of teams that are like that. And I think where it kind of sets up for y'all is this idea that, that Austin is a team that I think is taking a lot of lessons from other expansion teams. And you kind of look at what Nashville did last year. Nashville did a very, very similar thing where they brought in two DPs, kind of assessed their needs, realized they couldn't score for anything, and brought in John Cadiz as a designated player later in the year. So sometimes it just takes some time to assess things. And I think from Austin's standpoint, they're doing the right thing. So one the a stat that you included in in the article was you estimated that 23 of the 80, 81 possible DP slots are still open. Do you think that all like all or most of those will get filled this summer? Or do you think some of the weirdness is going to persist? I would imagine some of the weirdness persists, especially as teams try to figure out gate prices still. Uh, we don't we don't know how many fans are going to be in state in stadiums yet. Uh, still trying to figure that out in a lot of places. And obviously that was the biggest hit for revenue in MLS last year was the gate prices more than any other league. MLS is going to rely on gate prices. So we don't have that. You lose a lot of your income. So teams are really trying to figure that out. There's still a decent amount of unknowns. And as they start to figure that out, I think you'll see teams go in. But, you know, some teams are are always doomed to to never be able to find that third DP for whatever reason, uh, despite the <laughs> protests of their fans. Is that is that, is this like a big number? It seems like a big number to me, but I have no other off seasons to compare it to. So <laughs> what what would it usually look like at this time? It seems like a big number, and I frankly couldn't tell you exactly off the top of my head um, how it kind of compares exactly to other years, but just from experience, I, I've recognized that it's been quiet, and people like Tom Bogert at MLS have recognized that it's been very, very quiet. Um, Tommy Scoops is, is what we call him, but he he pointed out earlier in the offseason that at that point, I think this was like January, 
Uh, Scoops pointed out that 15 DPs had been signed by that point last year. Uh, this year, they had had one signed up until that point across the league. I mean, and that's was, that's four, that's plus 14 and right it was there. Cecilio you know? Dominguez. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, so, and you know, that, that's totally different with an expansion team. Um, so it's definitely quieter. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but it's strange times. I definitely think what y'all need to maybe keep in mind too going forward is that in MLS, you really only have to be good for like two months. And that's one of like <laughs> the big secrets of the whole thing, right? Like you look at a team like um, Seattle in 2016, they won 14 games, right? Uh, they lost 14 and we're generally about like 44, 48 points, I think is what they ended up with, which is not phenomenal by any stretch. They end up winning an MLS cup, right? They go on a run very, very late. They're only good for like maybe two months. They get the job done, though. And it's such a weird world, which I think is why it's so smart for Austin to to be waiting, to be patient. Yeah. Right? Um, Another thing that plays into that is we're going to be on the road for two months, which means we're going to have exactly. kind of a backloaded home schedule, which could also play into that. Having the our biggest player, our, our final DP coming in over the summer and then having a bunch of home games could prove really important. It's something that happened to Atlanta in their first season, uh, which is where I'm based out of. But they, I remember they had like nine games in September, I think, all at home. And they just kept coming and coming and coming. And, of course, the team's results improved by that point. They, they had really kind of figured things out at that point, too, as well. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how that works out for Austin. It's going to be interesting to see the structure in general for Austin. One of the teams I keep coming back to is Nashville. Uh, it kind of seems like Austin has that kind of linchpin centerpiece in the same way that Nashville had Walker Zimmerman. Y'all bring Alexander Ring. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can have that same sort of defensive impact uh, on a team that I think is somewhat elected to go after that model a little bit, right? Like there's kind of, there's two spectrums, I think. There's two ends of the spectrum for expansion teams. And one is like LAFC and the other is what Nashville did, which is go for a defensive core, be steady, you know, um, and make sure everything is set before you build on that and move forward. Um, some teams are really bad at the Nashville model, see Cincinnati, and some teams are really bad at the LAFC model, see Miami, who Miami. came in and thought, <laughs> you know, that we're going to do this, we're going to be high scoring, this is going to be awesome, um, and they've not been good at really anything, you know. Um, so I think with the resources that Austin has, the market, everything like that, um, they've chosen the right direction, you know. Hey, so speaking of our friends in Cincinnati, do you make anything of that preseason match that they had that they got blown out in? Like, if, <laughs> if Austin, if we lose 3-0 to Oklahoma, should we just give up? Or, uh, you know, is that just preseason and we don't need to worry? I would not worry too much about preseason. Um, and if, like, if you're Cincinnati, like, where you can't go lower, I don't think, at this point. Uh, <laughs> it's back-to-back wooden spoons for them, you know, and, and MLS record-breaking levels of, of goals allowed. They, they've been they've had an interesting offseason, but that was obviously not the, the start to the actual season they wanted. <laughs> I think Louisville had, like, athletic trainers out there and stuff, too, which is um, embarrassing. Don't do that, Austin. <laughs> Jeremiah, do you want to take the next point? Yeah, we'll cut this part, right? Are we in yes. the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, so Sam, the third point in this... Wait, the third extreme with an X, Mountain Dew sponsored <laughs> prediction <laughs> that you had was that everybody would love Austin. Uh-huh. So uh, what? what's your... Wow. Why, why do you think that? What's your experience there? Well, uh, That's but, a hot but, take, but, man. Bef- before mm. you answer that question, I think I want to interject with a, a 
like uh, to kind of set the scene here, like we know what people in Austin think about the team and kind of the the impact that it's had on the city here. What would you say is kind of the the general view of Austin FC around the league? That's a tough question. Um, I, I think there are maybe um, some overarching feelings and thoughts about um, past developments involving ownership. And you can you it. can speak openly as well because we talk about it. So <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. Um, so so y'all know what I'm talking about then. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we, so we talk I, I to those people think, on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure, and I'm sure you'll see it for a little bit. Which I think why this was a was a bold prediction in the first place. Of course, there's always going to be some animosity towards any expansion team that does well immediately because every MLS team except for three essentially have wanted that right like they've all wanted that they've all wanted lots of people in the stands they've all wanted immediate success everything like that and some of them have never gotten it ever you know um so there's going to be general animosity towards that in general but you kind of add in that extra element and it becomes a little more elevated um but but here's the thing um if y'all come out and You've already blown everyone away with the stadium. Um, I think you're going to blow everyone away with the atmosphere. I mean, that wait list is incredible. I think they were saying 10,000 people plus on their way to 11,000 on the wait list for season tickets is is something really, really special. Um, it's an MLS record, actually. So to see that and just talking to, to people like you and talking to other folks um, around Los Verdes and Anthem and, and in general um, folks at Austin FC, I, I get it a sense that there is a strong base for the community. And I get there is a sense that there's a lot of people who will like Atlanta and like LAFC latch on once they realize that this is the biggest thing in town. Right. Um, even if that's maybe still technically UT or whatever, um, this is the biggest thing you can have going on every weekend for an entire year, just about right. Uh, some of that really resonated here in Atlanta, obviously it's, it's college football territory, just like down in Austin, you know? Um, but people realize that you could tailgate all year, <laughs> right? That was huge. Right. Um, so once people realized that this was a big deal, um, it really kind of clicked with the city and, and soccer special in that you can just imprint so much of a team's personality, um, onto the city and, and vice versa, you know? Um, and Austin is a culture that, from my understanding anyway, is as a total outsider here, um, is one that, that prides itself on being Austin, you know, with, with the capital A proper noun, like McConaughey would say, right. <laughs> um, just being Austin, you know, uh, there's so much pride in that. And I think that will resonate with the team. And once that happens there, uh, I think that'll resonate with the league. People, people love a crowd, man. You also hint that, uh, that people will get sick of how much th- everyone tells them that they should like us as well, which is, <laughs> which will be my fault. I'm sure. Um, as someone working with MLS, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that once, um, you have something positive to latch onto, you latch onto it and then narratives build and everything like that. And it'll be great at first. And then y'all will, <laughs> y'all will win a few fan polls, um, under, under, uh, interesting circumstances, the you know, maybe, United maybe doctrine, <laughs> the Atlanta United Doctrine, which was originally the Sounders Doctrine back when Sounders invented soccer in 2009, which became when Atlanta invented soccer in 2017, which became when LAFC invented soccer in 2019. Um, 
So, you know, it's just one of those things that moves in cycle. Now, I think everyone's really kind of getting used to it because every team that we've seen come into the league in the last few years has done well in some capacity, right? Um, I think Miami and, and Nashville kind of got a, a rough deal, of course, because of the pandemic. But um, what Nashville did was incredible. What Cincinnati and Minnesota United have done with their fans have been incredible. Um, LAFC, all these teams have come in. And this is kind of just the norm at this point for, for cities to latch onto these teams and expect big things from it. And that's, that's incredible. Right. And I think Austin's the next part of that. So should we expect to hate Charlotte or St. Louis? Is that what we should go ahead and get ready for? <laughs> um, I think so. Honestly, St. Louis, especially St. Pl- Louis is already like plastic we- teams with no history. <laughs> oh my gosh. If I ever hear the word plastic again, I'm going <laughs> to rip everything off, man. It, it's, um, it's the same stuff. You kind of get used to the same jabs over and over again. Um, but yeah, honestly you should, I think Charlotte's going to do well. I think St. Louis is going to do really, really well. I'm excited about what they're building over there and, um, their history as a soccer city. Um, and it's just going to continue to grow and grow. Um, and it's, it's cool. I think, um, again, back to McConaughey talking about the, the 100 year war, right? Like MLS has so much time to build itself up to where all these other places are currently, you know, um, and, and to be in on the ground floor of that, like we are right now in this moment is very, very cool and something to, to be proud of. So you just invoked the name of McConaughey and uh, I, I hinted at this earlier, but the, the project that we kind of started talking about via, uh, I guess via Phil West, Phil connected you to Jeremiah, who connected you to some other people and, and so on and so on. But um, you were, you're working on an article about McConaughey's connection to Austin FC. So um, feel free to save save some points for the article if you want to encourage folks to go read it when it comes out. Uh, it's not <laughs> currently out yet. But what are some things that you can share with us? What have you learned about McConaughey and his effect on on the city of Austin and Austin FC so far? I think the most interesting thing that's happened with that piece is it started out with an idea that was essentially LOL. Look, McConaughey is around, (laughs) right? Like this is cool. This is a celebrity. This is around. Um, and that was going to be kind of the basis of it. Right. Um, in journalism terms, it'd be called a ride around is what it is. Um, and I would talk to people who had been around him in some capacity, um, in the last few years and kind of get a sense of simply what it's like to be around Matthew McConaughey, Austin FC minister of culture and Cohen, or what it turned into was Matthew McConaughey is one, a genuine fan, one, a genuine person who wants to be involved with this one, who was involved even on some level with interview processes for people he'd be working with. Right. Like I I talked to one of the folks from Austin and he walks into his interview, right. For his job. And it's like the club president and McConaughey, <laughs> right? Okay. Like which, what a, what a hell of an interview, right? Um, so that is someone who is genuinely invested. That is something that I, I picked up and thought would be the case. And it was nice to have that confirmed. But what I also found out is that Austin, you know, already um, had this strong base that Austin already really, really cared about this team and wanted this team to succeed from the beginning, right. And was ready from the word go to, to build a community around this team, to build ideas around this team that helped move them forward. Um, and there was even already a McConaughey chant, right. Um, so when you add those two things together, uh, they both supplement each other in the MLS world, right. Uh, McConaughey makes the, the community uh, a little broader, the big tent 
idea, I guess, is there with McConaughey with with bringing in maybe a little more casual fans, which you need to kind of get things going. Uh, but that core group, that that group that was, you know, starting supporters groups and starting podcasts and starting everything like that, that was going to be there always. Right. Um, and that's kind of what you need to to succeed in MLS. And that's really where my bold prediction that Austin won you over kind of came over. You, you recognize there's this space. You recognize that Austin as a city um, has a lot of things in common with places like Portland where, you know, there's really only one other thing in town and places like Atlanta where it's made up of transplants, where it's made up of people coming into the city um, who maybe don't have a team who uh, are looking for something to attach to that says this is Austin and they can find that in the soccer team. I was going to ask, so did, did you read the bongo story that I sent you? And what did you think about that as a, uh, as somebody who didn't know that before? <laughs> I, I did look at it. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, um, look who, who, who among us, right? <laughs> who among us? I, I can't cast the first stone there at all. Um, no, there were, there were a lot of really good, like small anecdotes, um, that I kind of enjoyed that I've got to kind of now sit down and figure out how to piece all together. Um, for example, Matthew McConaughey showing up to a UT Austin staff party because um, he teaches film there. Right. You know, uh, but you would never expect him to just be at the Christmas party for the office. Right. There he is. Um, you know, things like that were, were really, really gay. I loved finding out that uh, he is the voice of public transportation in Austin. <laughs> uh, you hop on the bus and uh, there's there's McConaughey. Right. Um, you, you listen to NPR and apparently he does some bumps for that, too. Um, so it's, it's, it's somewhat inescapable, right? But, but a lot of really good stories. Um, I love the interactions that, that supporters have been able to have with them from the Zoom call, which is how I'm referring to it from now on. <laughs> uh, I think that is the thing that has kind of come up regularly to hassling people in a Yeti store while they sit in a canoe, right? All those things have been fun to learn about and just kind of fascinating to get a sense of, of who he is and, and why it matters for Austin FC. All right. Um, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. I've been reading your work, I think, since before you were writing for MLS. Uh, whenever the Austin rumors started, I kind of just started following accounts from teams around the league. And I think, uh, I guess I've probably from Dirty South Soccer, I think I followed several people mm -hmm. through there. But um, I followed quite a few Atlanta accounts and ended up, have been following you for two or three years at this point. I think you and Jay Riddle and... Uh, like <laughs> yeah. several other folks, but we had, we actually had Jay on the, on the Anthem podcast a few years ago, like before we had anything, there was like, yeah, y'all got to get you some tattoos is what that means. <laughs> that's, that's the way, that's the way <laughs> Jay, Jay got one and it blew up from it. Um, I got one and it just sits there on my back and it hurts, and that's kind of <laughs> it. Uh, but you know, y'all got to start that. Let's go. Yeah, so this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're looking forward to that McConaughey article coming out whenever it does. Uh, where can our listeners find your work? I am at J underscore Sam Jones on Twitter. Go ahead and check me out there. Um, it's, it's a lot of Atlanta stuff, but I tweet about the rest of MLS too. And of course, I'll be focusing on Austin and hopefully get into Austin soon as I kind of travel around uh, doing features and whatnot as things get back to a little bit of normalcy here. Um, go check out my newsletter. It's called The Daily Kickoff. It's the daily newsletter for MLSsoccer.com, a.k.a. The Mothership. There's some soccer. There's some Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit references that <laughs> oh, I make nice. like every other day because um, it's a great movie. It's it's so touching. Um, and <laughs> lots of other dumb things like that. 
Um, honestly, you don't even have to open it. You can just go subscribe, bump my numbers a little bit. That'd be great. <laughs> Do that. There's no obligation here. Um, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, y'all go read Sam's work. Um, Sam, hopefully we'll, we can talk to you again in the near future. But whenever you're in Austin, let us know and you got beers on Moon Tower Soccer. Beautiful. Thank y'all. All right. Thanks, Sam. thank sam jones one more time you go get out there and read his work because it, it really is a lot of fun he uh he's a good writer and very smart but also likes to have a little fun with it so i, I really enjoy reading sam sam's work I, I remember when you told me that when we uh when phil directed him to us like the first thing you said is like oh i'm excited it's sam jones he's he's fun it's gonna be a good uh yeah. he's gonna be it's gonna be a good article and he's gonna be a good time and i think he was a fun interview too yeah absolutely um, before we, we finish the show, there's something else I wanted to bring up, which was a couple of weeks ago on extra time. Uh, I don't remember what prompted this, but they were talking about like the dynamics, how the dynamics would be changing rivalry wise within Texas and a FC Dallas fan wrote in saying that, um, that the rivalry wasn't really going to change much and that Dallas and Houston were going to be the main rivalry and that Austin would kind of be like the little brother, like trying to get in on the action, which I kind of like scoffed at as I, as I heard, but then, uh, Chris Wellhausen took major, uh, major exception to that and, uh, quote tweeted it, which then got read on the air of the next week's episode of extra time, which I thought was pretty entertaining. So I'll read Chris's tweet here. Some Dallas fan wrote into the show and said Austin would be like the, quote, little brother in terms of Texas rivalries and wouldn't mean as much as the rivalry with Houston. What a joke. Austin versus Dallas will immediately be the best in the state. Woo. Some sp spicy words from, from Wellhouse in there, as, as usual. Um, <laughs> well, what do you think of that? What do you think of this narrative that Austin's going to be the little brother? I don't think it's based on any reality. I mean, unless... If you if you're a fan of Houston or Dallas, it is you've had this thing that existed before. You're threatened by Austin being you know the new kid on the block that a lot of people love. Um, sure, but I don't see any reason why we're going to be the little brother in it long term. I mean, I think we've got just as much potential and talent as anybody. You know, I mean, Houston they they finished last in the Western Conference last year, so yeah, I think we can jump right in and be a part of it. How about you? Yeah, I and I think it has less to do with with results on the field than it does just kind of like general Texas culture. Uh, if, if anything, there could be a, I don't know, like a tractor pool. And if there was, uh, is that, is my small town showing by <laughs> pulling tractor pool right there? Uh, I, listeners look, look it up. It's, it's a weird thing that happens in country towns. Uh, but if there was a tractor pool and there's someone from, Dallas and someone from Austin or Houston or whatever it is, two two of the major cities competing against each other, it would immediately become a rivalry. Like they like to beat each other and they like to play against each other and make it a big deal. So I think it's ridiculous to say that, oh no, Austin versus Dallas or Austin versus Houston isn't going to be a rivalry because they're they're new and we've been doing this other thing for a long time. Like I think that's ridiculous. A, just that part is ridiculous. But B, 
Um, we've got more like fanfare and more excitement around our team than either of these clubs have had in many, many years. Some you could say for Dallas, like ever, like maybe in the very early days when they, I don't know there, I haven't been paying that close of, of attention long, like long enough to say, uh, absolutely that there was never this much excitement around Dallas, but I know Houston hasn't had it in many years since they were good a long time ago. And so I, I think for that alone, and like, I know that Austin still has a lot to earn and that, um, to, to be able to keep that excitement up is going to take a lot of work, but just what, what it, we have right now, I think it has those other two teams scared. Um, and I, I just, I cannot foresee a future where those two teams don't want to beat us more than anything. Yeah. We talked about that with John a little bit, right? John Arnold talked about the, that he hoped that just the introduction of Austin to the scene would force at least Dallas. And I guess we'll pick up on this on Houston next week, like just to be a little better and take this a little more seriously because they've kind of skated by on being the only MLS clubs in the state. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they read Chris's tweet on the air and then Andrew Weeby essentially says, like, Austin hasn't earned anything. You guys shouldn't expect to step into this thing. But then they immediately turn and essentially say, like, oh, but this and this and this and essentially prove Chris right on the, on the podcast. And then uh, I think it was Matt Doyle says, like, but isn't, like, the fact that we're even talking about this mean that it's already kind of it's a rivalry? True. Yeah. And so, like... I think you you see it on on Twitter and just different things that that Houston and Dallas fans will get like pretty defensive about it. Like, no, Austin's not our rivalry. And it's like the fact that you're even reading this or talking about it means that that's not true. And so I think it's going to be like a lot of fun. I think it's going to get pretty spicy pretty quick and I'm here for it. All right. Uh, should we should we finish the show now, Jeremiah? Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll also ask you to visit the Striker Texas, where uh, you can find lots of Austin FC and FC Dallas and Houston coverage. Anything Texas soccer, it's happening there. Hey, and one thing I would like to inter- to talk about is our friend uh, Mark Bay wrote his first Austin FC article oh, I think yeah. yesterday or today, and he did a really good job of taking an in-depth look at the five players we have either on trial or super draft players that we have and whether they would eventually sign or not. I thought it was a really good piece. Yeah, I agree that. And I, yeah, I thought that was really good and put some kind of, I think it gives some realistic expectations of what to expect out of those guys. So go check that out from Mark on the striker, Texas. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation with us, come find us on Twitter. I'm at LV hero 87. Jeremiah is at J Bentley underscore ATX. Uh, yeah, we, we love the conversation. We've, there's been a lot of, a lot of fun stuff happening on Twitter and some of it we brought onto the show. So keep it up. We like it. Um, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Moon Tower Soccer. We're going to be back in one week with more Austin FC news, and we're going to have another, uh, Texas preview, uh, interview. Speaking of Houston, we're going to have Victor Arisa who covers the dynamo for the striker, Texas, and kind of like what we did with John the other week, we're going to have Victor on to, Tell us, teach us a little bit about uh, the history of Houston and what we can expect from them this season. So we'll be back in one week. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.